Hello, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we are joined by Carly Bassian, who works as a sexual education consultant with teachers in the Ontario school system. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Okay, so Carly, today in Sex News is not actually from today. The article that we're going to be sort of using as the basis of our conversation today was originally published in Global News on July 12th, 2018, and it was titled, Parents can teach their own kids sex ed, but that doesn't mean they will. This article was published, I believe, like right after Doug Ford reversed Ontario's sex ed curriculum back to the 1998 edition. And this is predicated around the idea that parents should be the primary people responsible for teaching their kids everything they need to know about sex. So the article then expands to say that not all teachers are actually prepared to teach sex ed to their kids and how to have these awkward conversations with their children. I do know that the curriculum has been updated again But there was a big outcry when this first happened. So my question for you, Carly, to start this off, tell me a bit about your experience with teachers in the school system. Absolutely. And that article is actually a really great introduction to why I'm doing what I'm doing. I did my master's degree at the University of Toronto in the Master's of Teaching program. And during my time there, I became very fascinated with health education and more specifically sexual health education and the lack thereof in the school system. And it was really good timing because that was when Kathleen Wynne had just announced that they're releasing a brand new sex ed curriculum in in 2015. And just as you were talking about, parents don't really want to talk about it with their kids, but teachers don't really have a really solid foundation of health education. So what I do since I've graduated is I've been all around the country, across Canada, helping teachers learn how to be better sex educators. And another big piece of that is also empowering parents to have better conversations with their kids. Just to give you a little snapshot into my own education, I was in a two-year program, a two-year master's program. If you had to guess, how many hours of sex education training do you think I got in a two-year program? I'm going to go with maybe two hours. You're very close, actually. You got 45 minutes of sex ed training oh, in a wow. two-year I program. overshot that. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and yes, when you look at the health curriculum in Ontario specifically, the sex education curriculum is only really 10% of the whole health curriculum, but still 45 minutes of training. So these poor teachers have to have some of the most difficult conversations with their students with 45 minutes of formal training. And then these kids go home and they say, mom, dad, I learned about penises and vaginas. What is that? And then they don't want to talk about it. So no one really wants to talk about sex. Okay, wait. So here's my question for you, just to interrupt briefly. So if you got 45 minutes of sex ed training, how many hours of sex ed training do parents get? Depends how much they want to invest. Some get zero. Some, you know, who put the effort and energy into it, you know, good for them. But that's not the norm from my experience. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that this article saying that parents should be the only ones responsible for teaching their kids sex ed. That is not quite true. No, absolutely not. It should be coming from teachers. It should be coming from parents. And every parent will want to deny this. But guess what? Your kids are already getting sex ed from their friends as well. So that's why it's important. We'll get into this more. It's so important for parents to be educated and teachers to be educated so you can give your kids good information and help them source that information in a proper way. Because when they're going to go to their friends that aren't getting reliable information, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Yes. I mean, I know that I learned about a blowjob from my best friend in the seventh grade. 
I was so disgusted when I found out what a blowjob was. I was like, that is disgusting. Why would anybody do that? You said that girl did that already last year in the sixth grade. <laughs> so that was a fun, fun moment. I like to think of those moments when I'm having conversations with people about sex ed now. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's such a rite of passage to think about those memories. Uh, one of my earliest memories, teaching my friends about sexual health. I, I would lump this under the sexual health category. It was in grade three, actually. And uh, I remember running around the playground and asking my friends, do you know what your period is? Do you know what your period is? And they're like, yeah, it's a dot at the end of a sentence. And I was giggling to myself because I thought I was such a smart ass. So, you know, that's not necessarily the best way to get information. There's there's better ways to share. Well, like, listen, you were in the third grade. You were just so mature compared to your friends. So mature. So mature. So mature. Yeah. Just like most mature. As a five-year-old, six-year-old, however yeah, older than that. I think grade, grade three, three is like eight but yeah. eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. So let's briefly, why did sex ed need to change from the 1998 version? Like what was wrong with it? And then mm -hmm. tell me why Doug Ford wanted to change it back. To summarize the 1998 curriculum, you know, first and foremost, that was developed before marriage equality was legalized in Canada. So in 2005, that's when Canada allowed uh, same-sex marriage. So to think that we were teaching kids for literally over a decade after that from a curriculum that predated marriage equality, that's hugely problematic. Um, if you look through the 1998 sex ed curriculum in Ontario, you will not see any reference to the LGBTQ plus community, identities, sexual orientation, gender identity. That was just not something that was talked about regularly in schools, at least in the nine, in 1998 and onward. Um, and also when you look at it, another huge problem with a lot of health education curricula really across North America. It's very risk averse, very science based. So it's a lot of don't get STIs, don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Mean girls. That. Yeah, yep. thank you. We thank should you. release this episode October 3rd. Yeah, exactly. It probably mean won't, but that'd be very yeah. funny. Yeah, it's a little tight for a timeline. But anyway, very risk averse. And there was really no conversation prompted for teachers to have with their students about healthy relationships and the wonderful things that come out of sexual development and sexual growth. And that is still lacking, I would say, even now in the most recently updated curriculum, which has come out in the past year or so. Um, so there was a yeah. lot of room for improvement. So and I mean, no one had a cell phone back then. Sexting. No, sexting. Huge. I mean, I know that like in the like, I know people would send dick pics by Polaroid to each other. <laughs> but uh, teenagers, preteen, I mean, elementary school kids have cell phones now. So yeah, so cybersecurity, it's a real thing and access to pornography online, real thing that again, wasn't as prominent in, in the 90s. So that needed to change. So just to fast forward a little bit, Kathleen Wynne was actually the Minister of Education, eventually became Premier. When she was Premier of Ontario, she released the sex ed curriculum in 2015, which was a huge deal. It was really groundbreaking in terms of sex education in Canada. But then in comes Doug Ford. And it was part of his platform when he was running to be Premier that he was going to consult properly and all this rhetoric Ugh. around. But as you far know. as I know, the 2015 curriculum, they not only consulted with teachers and experts, yeah. they consulted with parents as well. Yes, over 10,000 across the province. So that was just a complete misnomer. Anyway, Doug Ford got elected. He kept his promise. And they did their consultation and found that an overwhelming number of parents liked the 2015 curriculum. Go figure that people want holistic and age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate, and updated education. So here we are today with a, I think it was released, I can't remember, I mean, COVID brain, was it this year, last year? The new curriculum, air quotes, is truthfully pretty much the same as the 2015 curriculum. Not a whole lot has changed. 
Yeah, we don't need to get into politics, but I heard that <laughs> Doug Ford did a lot of investigating to find that things should stay the way they are. Mm-hmm. Or as soon as public opinion started to turn against his favor, he would go back yes. to how it was. But all people remember was what he tried to do. Yeah. Great. So parents were included in the conversation around sex ed curriculum. Yeah. What are the kinds of things that they said they wanted? I don't actually know for sure, but I have to guess that it's whatever is still in the curriculum. So again, talking about the various gender identities and sexual orientations, healthy relationships. So not just focusing on how to avoid getting STIs or STBBIs and not just how to avoid unplanned pregnancy and not just learning about menstruation, but really having a much more holistic picture of what sexual health looks like in the real world. Again, I'm not saying that it's perfect. It is far from perfect, but it is definitely a huge step forward compared to the 98 curriculum. That's for sure. Okay. So here's a little bit about me. I used to be a nanny. I worked with a lot of different families. Uh, While I don't have children of my own, I worked with a variety of different parents very closely with their kids at a variety of different ages. And what I noticed is that genuinely a lot of different parents are comfortable with different aspects of the sex ed conversation. So some parents that I worked with were really comfortable literally just talking about the body. This is how the body works. And they kept it very body focused. And that's important. That's important. Yeah. And yeah. And then some of the other parents that I worked with were very big on making sure that their children had parental blocks on the internet. But if their kid found something, they would have a conversation about it. So one kid found out about fetishes very early on and they had a conversation about how it's for adults, but they make sure that that child had information to answer their question. They're very much making sure their children understand the conversations around consent and how that's been updated. When you were doing research for your master's, did you find any parents who didn't want to have any conversations around sex ed with their kids? So my research was solely with teachers. I didn't actually interview any parents. I mean, some of the teachers I interviewed were parents. Um, And yeah, just as you described, there is a spectrum of comfort level. And let's just call it out. Sex is really awkward to talk about, right? We live in a culture where sex is kind of this taboo thing. Um, I always give the example. I remember once telling my friend about my research and I was throwing out words like penis and vulva very loudly as I am on the subway. And just the amount of stares I got. And it was such a, uh, an eye-opening experience and reminded me that sex is really taboo. Like even these body parts that are completely anatomically correct, people still have a, a very visceral response to that. So same with teachers, right? It's all It all comes down to personal comfort level. And that's kind of the interesting ethical piece with teaching is that you're you're being, you know, you're obliged to teach to a curriculum that you may not be comfortable with or even believe in. I know I have colleagues that really don't support marriage equality, for example, that's a real problem. And here they are having to have these conversations that they personally do not feel comfortable with because that's their value, even though it's the law. Um, so it is a, it is a spectrum and you see that with teachers. Right. Okay. So when I was in a high school gym class, back when I was in high school, even just the experience that I got versus my sister who had the same class three years later and my friend who was in a different gym section, because we had a very, I think it was 400 people in our grade alone. So there was multiple sections for gym class. And I remember my gym teacher talked about masturbation and it's healthy and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And all the girls were giggling because, ew, girls don't masturbate. And that's a whole other side conversation for another day. I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we had another teacher trying to get all the girls to pledge to stay virgins until marriage. That actually happened? This was in public school. And this was literally the exact same time that I had a teacher telling me that masturbation was healthy. They had a teacher saying you should you should, you know, repress your sexuality as much as possible. Well, to me, when I hear that, that's just a complete lack of teacher education and also teachers really 
being explicit about their values, right? Uh, that That is not ethical teaching practice. And I, I would be very surprised to hear if that happened in this day and age. It, it might happen, but it's unfortunate because those are such foundational moments. And the fact that, you know, you and your sister still have that memory, just think about how that will impact you growing up, right? When you have this teacher that you look up to and you trust being told, you know, to not masturbate, that's dirty, that's wrong. That screws you up. Yeah, I mean, I could honestly talk about all of the messaging I got around female masturbation. Maybe that'll be a whole other episode one day. I'm shocked they even used the word masturbation in school. I have zero recollection of any sex education in my public school. The only memory that I have was actually in grade nine, and I had my first boyfriend, which was a really big deal. And I was completely embarrassed by my teacher because someone had said that I had a boyfriend, and he basically told my whole class that I had a boyfriend, which, again, would not happen anymore in this day and age, I would hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, just really negative experiences, unfortunately. And being terrified that I was going to get an STI because that's all they tell you. It's like, you're going to get this and you're never going to be okay. That's so not true. So not true. So I have a question. What would you say, let's say we have a teacher listening right now and they don't have the same values as what the sex ed curriculum is teaching. What advice mm -hmm. would you give them for how do you teach something you yourself don't believe in? That's an excellent question. And that looks different for every single teacher. In teacher's college or my te my master's program, we often do exercises where you're really forced to think about your values and really reflect on that. If you had a dime for every time you heard the word reflect or reflection in, in a teaching program, all my teacher friends out there, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You really do need to take the time and think about it and ask yourself, where is this coming from? Is it from my own education? Is it my family values? Is it my religious values? And they're perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to have your own beliefs and your own value system. But you also have to remember as a teacher that you took an ethical pledge when you became a teacher to teach to the curriculum. And you are trying to give students as much education and information as possible to make healthy choices. And I know it's so easy to say you have to keep your values and ethics out of it. It's impossible to, but the more you bring it to the conscience of your own mind and really make it known to you that, okay, I really struggle with this. I really feel uncomfortable with this. How can I have a conversation with my class in a way that that is neutral? So maybe for people who are having conversations about things that they're less comfortable with, Maybe that requires a little bit of planning. And truthfully, that's no different than teaching any subject. With me in particular, I suck at math. I am not a math person. And I was placed in a grade six gifted classroom for one of my placements. And I had to teach gifted math. So you can only imagine the anxiety because I always thought to myself, I'm not a math person. I don't like math. I don't, I don't want to teach this. But you have to. So you plan for it. And that's no different than health education. You have to plan for it. So if I was a teacher and I did not, this is all theoretical. I did not believe in marriage. Obviously, I believe marriage equality. So theoretically, let's say I'm a teacher and I believe that being gay is a choice that people are making. And I don't agree with that choice. How would I teach? Like, it would it just be saying some people have same-sex relationships. This is a thing that exists. You don't have to make a judgment about it. Yeah. It's just, this is a thing that exists. And you should never make a judgment about any subject. And that's the tricky part with being a teacher is you really shouldn't be placing judgment because just as you said about pledging to be a virgin, because that's the right thing to do. You're, you know, kids are impressionable. They look to you as a role model and whatever comes out of your mouth has so much weight. I think teachers often forget how much weight that has. So you're never saying to a kid, marriage equality is bad or good that masturbation is bad or good. 
You're just saying, you know, this is a thing that exists in the world. Some people marry someone of the opposite sex or the same sex. In some countries, that's legal. Some countries, that's illegal. And let's maybe talk about why we think that is and make it critical and let them think about that. It's never placing judgment to say that, that this is right and this is wrong. It's more of just this is one option and this is the other option. So that's how you avoid it. Okay, so we're talking about how teachers aren't necessarily given the tools to teach sex ed. So this article, like I said, Doug Ford had this assumption that parents can just teach their own kids sex ed. You know, if teachers don't know how to teach it, should we just be relying on parents to teach their kids sex ed? Absolutely not. That is the most dangerous thing you can do. It's a very dangerous assumption. And not to knock on parents. I mean, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a household that was very sex positive, And I think that's part of the reason why I was always drawn to sexual health and sexual education. Um, because I grew up in a household that never made me feel shame when I had questions. It was very open. But I know that's not the norm because a lot of people aren't comfortable. And it's whether it's a, a personal values thing or again, just like a lack of education. And a lot of the time people just don't have the tools to have conversations with their kids. So it makes them feel nervous and they try to avoid it. But that's actually the most dangerous thing that you can do because your kids are going to find that information elsewhere. So parents should really try to educate themselves, but teachers and other people who work with kids, you should never assume that parents are going to teach their kids what they need. Yeah. So I have a very distinct memory of me once again in the seventh grade and they were seventh or eighth grade and they were doing the health curriculum. And I, oh, I'm sorry. That noise was my cat trying to jump onto the desk and missing. Okay. So my cat wants to join the podcast. So I have this very distinct memory of, I think it was seventh or eighth grade health. And I was always one of those kids who always wanted to learn everything. And I especially wanted to learn about my body and myself and how everything worked. And nothing's changed Nothing has, then. still still learning. Um, yeah, just disclaimer, I've known Ray, how long have I known you now? Like 13 years? We've known each other since the summer of ninth grade. Just a long time ago. I think it's like 13 or 14 years. You can do the math so everyone now knows our age. Camp Robin Hood, feel free to sponsor our podcast. That's where we met. <laughs> so seventh or eighth grade. And so it's health class. And they're talking about here's the form you must ha have a parent sign if they want to opt out. And I'm walking back with a uh, shout out to Ignore, who will probably never listen to this. And she was saying, oh, I'm going to be opting out. We're walking home. We lived on the same street. So she's talking about wanting to opt out. And I kind of looked at her because I, in my mind, could not imagine someone who did not want to take sex ed. What do you mean you don't want to learn this? And she goes, I don't want to learn that. It's embarrassing. And I'm like, you don't want to learn about how your body functions. You don't want to learn about how, how like the science of, of humanity, of how humans are. You don't want to learn science. Like you don't want to learn about she. And literally she was like, no, I'm so embarrassed. And literally the entire, all I remember is I got, I was so shocked and flabbergasted. I blinked. And all I remember is yelling as she runs away from me, literally ran down the street away because I'm yelling, penis, penis, does this make you uncomfortable? It's just a word. Penis, penis, <laughs> ignore, it's just a penis. Uh, and that was, uh, that was, and nothing has changed. Yeah. I'm still yelling penis at people as they run away <laughs> down the street. So, um, anyway, so I guess that's the thing. You have some kids who are just super comfortable with it. Maybe because you and I were raised in a house where questions were always answered versus someone who couldn't even be around someone yelling the word penis. Yeah. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? We both grew up in households where it was very sex positive and it was just something that was naturally part of the conversation. And I actually, I want to go back to a very 
tiny detail in that story about the opt-out form, I just want to do a little plug here that I often like to share with teachers and parents. Do not, first of all, your teachers, do not give kids the option to opt out explicitly like that. Parents do have the right to opt their kid out of any subject, but don't make it easy for them because everyone's going to take you up on that. And then no kid's going to get sex education, period. And then no one will be able to say the word penis. Ever. Right. Without cringing. Um, so I have to say things like eggplant emoji because we won't be able to say the word, which, by the way, I learned about what the eggplant emoji meant from one of the parents that I used to work for who learned it from the Internet. And there you go. An educated parent. Yeah, I was. She was like, do you know what it means? I'm like, wait, do I know what it means? It was very funny. Anyway, continue. So, yeah, do not provide an opt out form teachers and parents. Please avoid the temptation if you do get one. Let your kids get the education that they can from school and supplement that. When you get that form, because I know some schools still do it, ask the teacher if it's not on the form, which it should be, what are you going to talk about? What's what's in the health curriculum for my child's age? And you can also find that online for free. Again, I'm talking about Ontario and, and most Canadian provinces. But if you are listening from elsewhere, I'm sure, you know, your district should have public documents for your health curriculum. But ask what's going to be on it. So then you as the parent can do your own research and then supplement that because I can guarantee you there, there will be gaps and your kids will have questions for you. So when they come to you, you'll be prepared. And guess what? They ask a question that's coming out of left field and you have no idea what the answer is. There was absolutely nothing wrong saying, you know what, honey, I don't actually know the answer to that question, but I promise I'll look into it and I will get back to you. Better to acknowledge that you don't actually know the answer than making some bullshit up and giving them wrong information. I want to add, you need to make sure to bring it back up, though, because your kid might forget that they asked or they might not. And if you assume that they've forgotten and they didn't, then you're the parent who told their kid they would look it up and then never got back to them. So you want to make sure to, to be bringing that up. And another tip that I have as well, which uh, this one's from my mother who runs a daycare, a very successful daycare. We're very proud of her. Um, yes. So she was also saying that you need to be very clear what is your child asking you. You don't want to overwhelm them with information. You need to find out, like, exactly. if a kid says, how are babies made? They might be literally wondering, like, literally, how are babies made? And you can just answer, like, oh, the baby grows in mommy's tummy. And then it's born and the kid will go, oh, okay. And then years later, we'll then say, okay, but how did it get in mommy's belly? Did you eat it? Right. And that's when you can give more information. So don't give more information than they're maybe asking for in that moment. Yeah, you got to suss it out, right? You know your kid better than anyone. And you can tell if they're starting to feel uncomfortable, if they feel overwhelmed, if they're just confused. So just give them enough information. If they ask more questions, then you answer in a way that feels appropriate to you. And make sure that you give your kids some level of privacy when when necessary. Yes, please. When they're in the shower for more than five minutes, do not walk in. There's a reason for it. Um, Fun fact about Carly, both of her parents are named Randy. And when they go to England, they need to change their name because that's like being named horny over here. Fun fact. Yes. My mother is practically a sex educator without really being one. That was one of, again, one of my early memories of learning what the what the name Randy means in in London. And and that also comes from Austin Powers because I was obsessed with Austin Powers. Are you Randy, baby? Yeah. So my mom's like, oh, fun story. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's say a parent has now listened to their podcast. We've changed their mind. They are ready to learn everything they can about sex ed. Where can they do that? I'm going to shamelessly plug my website, which is mysexed.ca. I have tons of resources. I've pulled together fantastic resources from very trusted places like Planned Parenthood. Could not recommend them enough. 
tons of websites, fantastic picture books for all ages. That's a great way to have conversations about sex because you're kind of putting it on the book. And then, you know, when you read a book, naturally conversations come up and questions come up. So that's a great way of doing that. Another one for Canadian parents in particular, you're going to want to check out CCAN, which is S-I-E-C-C-A-N, I believe. And they have a ton of resources for Canadian sex education curriculum prompts, topics, there's stuff for teachers as well. So that's a a great place to start. We'll make sure to link those in the show notes as well. All right, it is time for a commercial break. We are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring Sex News with Ray, please send us a DM on Instagram at sexnewswithray or email us at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. All right, Carly, it is time for listener questions. Today's question comes from a parent of three daughters. They're all elementary age. And this parent is asking, at what age is it best to start talking about sex? So I'm going to let you answer first. So basically, as as early as when they can start talking and understanding what you're saying, when people think sex, that's something to unpack. We're not just talking about like penis and vagina sex, right? Because that's often when you go to sex, it's very heteronormative, very sexually charged. You can have conversations about sex in a way that a four-year-old can understand it when it comes to other topics like consent. You have to start with consent. That is the most rudimentary, fundamental topic to start with before you even get into topics about sex ed when you think about sex ed. So in terms of consent for a four-year-old or a five-year-old, you teach your kids this naturally anyway. You're teaching them by saying, when you go to a friend's house, When you want to play with their toys, you ask first. And if they say no, you respect that. And if they say yes, you go for it. Or when you see a friend, you want to hug them, you ask first. And some days they may say yes, and some days you may say no. You have to respect that. So you start with the basics. So again, elementary age, preschool, go for it. Right. The idea there being also that you've now practiced having conversations to the point where when you need to start talking about reproduction and periods and body changes, you want to get that about a year before they're going to get it. So the thing is, people assume that puberty is 12 to 14. Some girls are getting it as young as nine. Way early. So you really want to make sure that they're prepared at eight or nine, even if they're not emotionally mature yet, to know that this is something that happens. Mm -hmm. And and again, you don't want them to have any surprises. My grandmother told me when she got her period for the first time, she thought she was dying because her mother had never told her what her period was. And one day she was bleeding and didn't know what the heck was going on. So you want to, again, just as we were talking about before, share, but don't overshare. You don't need to get into the nitty gritty of what that actually means about the uterine line shedding and it bleeds for anywhere for three to seven days and heavy light. You you don't need to get into that. You can just, you know, before, you know, around age eight or nine is I think your body's going to start changing. Yeah. Yeah. And smells and hairs and something called your period. Like you don't have to make it a big deal. Just make it a conversation. And you can't get more detailed. Like I remember, I remember learning about periods and they'll say you'll get stomach cramps, but I'm one of those people who has like back cramps. So whenever someone clutches their stomach in a movie, I'm like, why are they clutching their stomach? And apparently it has to do with the way your pelvis is rotated or your uterus is, I don't know. But yeah, so I would get, and some people would, like you're expecting blood like from a vampire movie, but it's frequently like a brown rust color and no one prepared me. Yeah, what does that mean and how much? Yeah, those are kinds of the questions that, that, you know, you your kid might want to be prepared for. And also at some point you might want to mention that using a tampon doesn't mean you're not a virgin anymore because that is a thing we get yes. asked about a lot. 
This is a tangent. Okay, but what about actual sex? Penis and vagina sex? Relationships? It, it really depends on your kid's maturity level, depends on their curiosity. You have to find a balance because if you start talking about these things too early, it's not going to resonate with them and then they're going to get wigged out by it and they're not going to want to talk about it. You want to build up to it. So when you're watching movies, for example, and there's a sex scene, you know, maybe just make a comment about that or if they ask a question, just answer it and not making sex topics that one conversation about the birds and the bees. That's the most dangerous thing you can do. As a parent, as a teacher even, you should be having these conversations ongoing and just make it a natural part of your conversation. Another example I want to give, just going back to the elementary age, is with body parts. So when you're young, that's like one of the first things you learn, right, is, you know, where's your nose? Where's your eyebrows? Where's your tongue? If you just very nonchalantly mention, and this is my penis, and this is my vagina, or my vulva, just make it part of the conversation and don't bring it all this extra attention that it doesn't really need. It's going to make these conversations way easier to have down the road. Right. And then you end up with a kid who writes a song where they want to know what's inside your butthole. Is it an astronaut? Is right. it, you know? And, right. and you... I'd love to hear that song. Yeah, and you can... Oh, you haven't heard it? No. I, people were doing covers of it. It's a kid who's like, I want to know what's inside <laughs> your butthole. We'll link to that in the show notes, too. But anyway, it's it's uh, it's funny because the mom's response to that was to record it and put it on the internet. And now her daughter's viral. And it's hilarious. Because she just That's wants hilarious. to know what's inside your butthole. I feel bad for that kid. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. When they're an adult and they dig up on YouTube one day, they're like, wait, that sounds like me. <laughs> that would be mortifying. Mortifying. Someone made a remix, like a pretty a pretty banger of a party remix to that one. Yeah. How... I'm shocked I haven't heard about this. But there's a lot of things I'm shocked I don't know. Good thing we've got sex news to keep you up to date on all of our sex news. Yes. One other thing I would add is that a lot of people think that sex is just about the reproduction or the bodies or, but sex to quote my beloved Esther Perel, sex is communication. Sex is so many other things. So when you're talking about sex with your kid, it doesn't necessarily need to be, this is a penis and it goes in a vagina and gay men do it by touching the tips of their penises together. That's not how gay men do it. But like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea being that it can also be about how do you treat people? How do you respect people? How are women portrayed yes. in the media? How are men portrayed in the media? How does that make us feel? You know, how does it how does it make you feel to see this person presented in this way and how people are responding to that attention? Yeah. And I think that's that's the great thing about sex education is we're starting to realize, you know, we use this term as a very broad umbrella and it really is such a broad umbrella. It's no longer just about these very particular milestones that we experience in our life. It's communication, it's relationships, it's healthy relationships, it's having healthy relationships with yourself, which is often so important and missed, right? We never talk about being in tune with your own body. So the evolution of sex education is becoming much broader and for the better because we're all by nature sexual beings and it's an experience we all share. So on that note, I think that's it for today. Thank you everyone for listening to our very first episode of Sex News with Ray. Carly, where can people contact or follow you? Uh, if you check out my website, mysexed.ca, you can find my Twitter information, Facebook, and again, my website has tons of resources available as well. Wonderful. You can follow the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram, and you can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. You can follow me at wifebayray on Instagram and TikTok and Razor Latex on Instagram, OnlyFans, and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. Theme music by Blank and Brilliant, and a special thank you to Blue Microphones. 
A special thank you to French Fry the Cat, whose meows you may hear at some point during this podcast. And also shout out to Egan, penis. 